6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 1 and 2. Okay, finishing up the Psalm 1. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. That means there is going to be a final exam. There is going to be a final judgment. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Is there really going to be a future judgment? Absolutely. Verse 5 confirms this right here. For the believer in Christ, there is no judgment of sin. John 5, Romans 8. Check it out. Very important. Promises. For the unbeliever, there is a fearful looking for judgment. Hebrews 10, Revelation 20, most of that chapter. When the books are opened, these individuals will be flung to their knees in confession of sin and the truth of God's Word and God's Son. And the classic passage for that is Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Mark 7, excuse me, Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23 is another classic passage. These ungodly people will never be allowed to enter the heavenly congregation of the righteous, even though on earth they might have been members of religious groups of various kinds. So the whole psalm deals with two people, two men in two ways with two different destinies. 1 Corinthians 15 contrasts this in another way. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. So you are either in Adam or in Christ. Let's hope that you are in Christ. Which one do you want to follow? Which path in this psalm do you want to follow? And having said that, how do you go about it? Well, let me give you one verse to finalize, and then we'll move to the next thing. Joshua 1.8 probably hangs in many of your homes. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein once every week. Right? No, no. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. That sort of says it all, doesn't it? Then thou shalt meditate therein. That's the call. As you go through each psalm, as we move along in the psalms, let's try to resist the temptation to make progress, and let's slow down and try to digest each one as we go. Okay. Surprisingly, Psalm 1 is followed by Psalm 2. And I think we can squeeze in two tonight, in spite of all the introductory material. One of the most blessings, blessed things in the Psalms for me is that Christ 
is virtually in every one of them. Some of them quite directly, some quite conspicuously, some very subtly, some very profoundly. Christ is in the Psalms. Jesus said, the volume of the book is written of me. He said that in Psalm 40. In fact, on the Emmaus Road, you may recall that his first act after his resurrection, he joined these two guys on a seven-mile walk, and he started with Moses and the Psalms. He went through the whole Scripture. That, and it's interesting, they all apparently knew it well enough that he could do it without carrying a bunch of scrolls with him. You know what I mean? It wasn't like he took a book, you know? Psalm 22 reads as if it was dictated by Christ as he hung on the cross. Astonishing piece of writing. Psalm 22. Psalm 23, the Good Shepherd Psalm. If you haven't heard any of the Psalm, you can almost quote that one, I'm sure. Psalm 40, the sacrifice of Christ. Psalm 110 details his high priestly uh, role in a, in a definitive way. And then the, the stone that the builders rejected, Psalm 118. And then Psalm 2, the coming king. That leads us to the one. Let's take that one. It's the next psalm for us to take a look at. It's first that we encounter of the Messianic Psalms. The book of Psalms is quoted in the New Testament more than any other book from the Old Testament. Christ quotes mostly from Deuteronomy than any other book. But the New Testament itself quotes from the Psalms more than any other book in the Bible. And uh, the book of Psalms, this hymnal of Israel, constitutes irrefutable testimony to the divine inspiration of the Scriptures because it has so much prophecy, it will startle you how much of the prophetic record is incorporated in the Psalms. And we're going to go through those as we go, the, the so-called Messianic Psalms, where they're very, it's very conspicuous. We'll discover that his person, he, that he's the Son of God in, 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 uh, all through there, the Son of Man, that he's the Son of David. All these things are emphasized in the Psalms. His offices as prophet, as priest, and as king are detailed in the Psalms. That he would speak in parables is described. That he will calm a storm. That he will be despised. That he will be rejected. That he will be mocked are all in the Psalms. That he will be whipped. He'll be derided. He'll be impaled on a cross. And therein he'll be thirsty. He'll be given wine mixed with gall. He'll, they'll cast lots for his garments. Not a bone of his will be broken, which is a requirement of the Passover in the first place. He would rise from the dead. He would ascend to heaven. He would sit at the right hand of God. He is the high priest in heaven. He'll judge the nations. He'll reign to be eternal. His reign to be eternal. And uh, all kinds of profiles. As the Son of God, the Son of David, people sing Hosanna to him. He's blessed forever. He'll come to glory in his last days and so on. His kingdom will be the focus of three specific psalms. The coming of the kingdom in Psalm 46 through the tribulation. The range of the kingdom to all the earth in Psalm 47. And it'll be the center. The center of the kingdom will be Zion. Psalm 46, 47, 48 are a trilogy of psalms focusing on his kingdom. Okay, with that warm-up, let's jump into Psalm 2. Find out what we find there. It's going to talk about cosmic war. First encounter of him in the Psalms is as a warrior, in effect. Let's just read it through first. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? 
The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Close quote. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Wow, quite a song. Okay, let's take a look at it. It's, you're going to discover there's four voices here. We'll call it the voice of the nations in the first three verses, the voice of the Father in the next three verses, the voice of the Son in the next three verses, and then the voice of the Holy Spirit in the last three verses. And I encourage you to do this at home yourself. Check it out. Don't take my word for it. Let's take a look at the first three verses, the voice of the nations. What does that voice say? Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against whom? Against the Lord and against his anointed. That word anointed is the Mashiach, the Messiah. In, in Greek, it's the Christ. Saying, what are these guys all saying to themselves? Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. When did all this begin? It's interesting that uh, in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? So it's echoing back this very thing. The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. So... It's the world that's taking action collectively, increasingly against Christ. We need to understand that. Having grown up from a Christian heritage and a Christian history in this country, we tend to take too much for granted. The world is anti-Christ. The UN is very vigorously anti-Israel and anti-Christ. The European Union is virulently against Christ. And in the last analysis, the U.S. will be also. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast, their, cast away their corns, cords from us. What bands or cords might they be talking about? What kind of bands or cords or restrictions has God ordained? Well, one is marriage. Marriage was ordained by God in Genesis 
Do you see a war of the world and Satan and his minions trying to disrupt marriages? Not only in terms of breaking up the marriages that are, but the very concept of marriage is becoming suspect in our society. That is a God-ordained modality that is um, the, the destruction of which is going to destroy our whole, the whole fabric of our society. Another dimension to this is that God has ordained heterosexuality. He designed men and women differently. It's astonishing to notice how many professional people don't seem to understand that. Furthermore, God has ordained a specific judgment on those cultures that refuse to acknowledge Him as Creator. If a culture denies God as the Creator, there is a specific judgment He ordains in Romans chapter 1 from verse 20 to the end of that chapter. If they don't acknowledge Him as Creator, God says, I will give them over. Who's giving them over? God is giving them over to what? Homosexuality. Very explicitly detailed there. What other bands? He's given us the Ten Commandments. They served us well for many generations, and now it's illegal to post them in a public place? Got to be kidding. The very rule of law, in America especially, we, do not lead, we have no allegiance to a, a leader. We have allegiance to a rule of law. But even in America, the rule of law is disregarded. The Supreme Court no longer uses the Constitution as its guide. The process of government no longer requires the approval of the, House of Legis the legislative houses. These are the bands and the cords that the kings of the earth are trying to rid themselves of. Well, we've heard the voice of the nations in the first three verses. Let's take a look at the next three verses, which apparently is the voice of the Father. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. Does God laugh? You bet. The Lord shall have them in derision. And I can understand why. Can you imagine people taking up war against God? I mean, that's, I can understand denying God, trying to ignore God, trying to hide from God. That's pretty stupid, but you can understand it. Taking up war against God, that has got to be pretty weird. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath. I don't think we can embrace the real meaning of when you use the term God's wrath. What's it like when God gets mad? Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. That's pretty cool. See, Isaiah 45 amplifies this. God says, I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I, have not, I, I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell, me, tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I, the Lord... And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. I think that's a fascinating phrase, and right, especially in this place in Isaiah. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. 
I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Indeed. Surely shall one say in the Lord, have I righteousness and strength, and even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. That unto me every knee shall bow. Does that ring familiar? That sound like something out of Paul's letter to the Philippians? Indeed. Let's take a look at that letter. We mentioned it earlier. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not something to be grasped, to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation, but took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There again, every knee shall bow. Picked right up out of Isaiah. Okay, let's see what the Son has to say about this. The next three verses. God says, I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. The Son is quoting the Father here, apparently. See, God hath, in Acts 13, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. Why did I put this verse here? We think of begotten as Jesus being born. No, that term is an allusion to his resurrection. How do I know that? Because that's the way it's quoted. Psalm 2 is specifically referenced here in Acts 13. You follow me? That, that, thou art, that my son, this day have I begotten thee is an allusion to the fact that he raised up Jesus again. He was begotten in the sense of having conquered death. Are we together? That's often misunderstood. People read that in the psalm and they wonder. They assume that means... Jesus being born. No. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. It refers to his resurrection. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. That was the offer that Satan gave Jesus in, in, at the uh, temptation in Luke 4. He said, all these nations, he showed them all the nations in the moment of time, they belong to me. Worship me, I'll give them all to you. That's not a temptation if Satan didn't own them to be able to give them. If he didn't own them, if I offered, offered to sell you the Brooklyn Bridge, you're not tempted. You know I don't own it. But if you know that I really do have title to it and offer to sell it to you, that's a temptation. Follow what I'm saying? Jesus did not challenge Satan's ownership of the nations. He said, hey, worship me, I'll give you all these. They're mine to give. And, and, and he declined. Why? What Satan was doing is giving him a shortcut. Don't go to the cross. That's an ordeal. Just worship me. Well, cut to the chase. I'll give it to you all. I'll give it all to you. He obviously declined. God said, uh, Jesus quotes God telling him, Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession, because he is the ultimate owner. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. 
Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. There is this interesting identity piece called a rod of iron. We don't think of Jesus having a rod of iron. We know it intellectually because it's used so often, but stop and think about that. We, we visualize the suntanned carpenter walking this, the seaside of Galilee pat, patting the kids on the head or something. No, this is, this is the ruler of the universe. The rod of iron. Revelation 2.27 makes point of this. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. Jesus, Jesus speaking. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. You look at Revelation 12, verse 5. Speaking of the woman. She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Most people assume this is in this summary of Israel, that is the ascension. It may indeed be. It also may be the the rapture of the church, both in one. G.H. Pember was the first to realize it could be referring to both of those at the same time. In any case, who's to rule all the nations with a rod of iron? Jesus Christ and the identity of Christ. Revelation 19. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierce of the wrath of the Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. Okay, we have one more to hear from the Holy Spirit, last three verses. Here's the advice the Spirit gives us Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put his trust in him. Uh, the word kiss there pictures homage. In 1 Kings 19 and Hosea 13, that term is used implying homage to the king. It may sound like strange to our ears, of course. Okay. And uh, what's very unusual here is the apparent use of bar for son, which is an Aramaic word, not a Hebrew word. And uh, Jerome rendered it pure. Bar is a Hebrew word for being pure. The word bar as a son is really assuming it's Aramaic. If it's Hebrew, which is what it's written in, it really means worship. It really means give him pure worship is what the Hebrew actually applies. And worship and purity, if you will, rather than making a reference to the son. You with me? It's because of that peculiar use of word of bar there. But in any case, Psalm 1 began with the beatitude. Psalm 2 ends with the beatitude. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. So we have the voice of the Spirit. We have the mind of the Spirit. Be wise, be instructed, that is. The counsel of the ungodly has led the ungodly astray. astray Psalm 1 is pointed out. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1. Okay, that's the mind. Then the Spirit speaks to the heart. Serve him. And finally, to the will, kiss the Son. And uh, reconciled to the world by the cross, righteousness and peace. Whosoever will shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Acts 2.21. You can go on with that all the way you like. So there you have it. Now in the next session, what I want you to do is don't just read, <laughs> but meditate on the subsequent Psalms, say three, probably from three to ten, or three as far as you comfortably taking, uh, work your way through. I'm not sure how far we'll get next time. We'll see how we how we do, but uh, we'll continue. We'll just continue Psalm by Psalm, 
trying to glean from it some background insights, but most of all, apply it to our souls. And so with that, let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Well, Father, we thank you for this hymnal that you've provided to us, even though we know not its music. We do pray, Father, that through your Spirit, you would feed our souls, draw us ever closer, not just to your Word, but to your Word incarnate, your Son, that we love so dearly, that we seek to know so more completely. And Father, we acknowledge before you our ingratitude and presumptions that have caused us to take so much just for granted, especially your word, and especially this beautiful part of your word that is so rich and so instructive. Father, we just pray that you would help us to digest it, to meditate upon it, that we might participate in deepening our roots, that we too might be more effective at bearing fruit for the kingdom. We just commit ourselves into your hands without any reservation, just seeking you. as we come in the name and the authority in response to the command of our Lord, our Savior, that Son of David that penned so many of these, our Yeshua. In his name we do pray. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.